I'm George Will, and you're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan. Rhino, this is a Cubs podcast, but uh, we're leading off the first inning with some Cardinals news. Did the Cardinals just win the division this week? I think they certainly did, Chad. They got the big prize of the offseason. And of course, as you said, even though we are a Cubs podcast leading with Cardinal news, this news definitely affects the Cubs. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about the Arenado trade. We're also going to be talking about a big signing that excited the Cubs for a little bit with Jock Peterson probably taking over most of the duties from Kyle Schwarber, plus a a former top pick, a number four pick for for the Cubs pitching staff, taking a flyer there. Some big news, plus uh, some purse strings uh, being loosened by the Ricketts, believe it or not. That's right. And we also have Wayne Mesmer, the Singer and national anthem extraordinaire is joining us to talk about his career. So stick around because the Friendly Confine starts right now. Hi, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lieber. And Chad, let's start as we always do in the first inning. And we have some huge news to start our podcast with. After basically no moves seem to be made in the NL Central, the biggest one potentially of the offseason was just made minutes ago when the St. Louis Cardinals completed a deal with the Colorado Rockies to obtain Nolan Arenado, the powerhouse third baseman, and he is going to look pretty solid in Cardinal Red. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reporting that the deal is pending approval from both Major League Baseball and the Players Union, but the Rockies are sending Cardinals significant cash, believed to be in the $50 million range, and Nolan Arenado will be deferring that money as well. The St. Louis Cardinals now have two guys on the corners in Goldschmidt and in Arenado that could potentially be the best one-two punch now in the central rivaling uh, Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. This certainly puts the Cardinals head and shoulders above the rest of the NL Central, Chad. Absolutely. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday night for those that listen to this on Monday or Tuesday. Obviously, this happened now. Um, but yeah, Rhino, it's big news. And, uh, and, and finally, I mean, I posted, uh, I think, a day and a half ago on the Cubs, our Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page that it just showed all of the moves being made. And it was something like $3 million dollars in the NL central versus like, you know, uh, nine figure deals, uh, in, in other divisions. And so finally we're starting to see some moves and you look at this. It's amazing how quickly, quickly this happened. Arenado was signed just in 19 to about a quarter of a million dollar deal. I think $260 million. And in that time to this time, he really wanted his way out. I think the Rockies, um, did a fantastic job on this, uh, you know, uh, they are sending some money over their way, but they're getting great, uh, salary relief and, uh, um, and, a, and a bevy of prospects. You know, the Cardinals are known for developing their players, but the Cardinals are super scary now. I mean, this is this is the this you know we're going to talk in the second inning what the, the Cubs have been doing, but you know this really puts the Cardinals on the map uh, along with the Wainwright uh, resigning for the year. Um, they are going to be uh, the team to beat offensively. I mean, this is a guy who's going into a really good situation with a, a franchise, the Cardinals, that just know how to win and and will spend the money and put the efforts in to be competitive on a year-in and year-out basis. This is a winner for Nolan, and the Cubs have got to be – I mean, if they thought this was a winnable division this morning, um, Jet Hoyer and company are going to bed tonight realizing they've got to make some more moves. And not only that, Chad, I mean, you know, I say this puts the Cardinals head and shoulders above the rest of the NL Central. I, I truly believe this makes them a legitimate World Series contender. I think that they – can rival the Dodgers and the Padres and the Braves and potentially the Mets with a move like this. I I truly do. I think that offensively, this team is going to be as explosive as any in baseball. And I think with the young pitching staff that they've already assembled, led by Jack Flaherty, um, the St. Louis Cardinals are are going to look very good this year. And I think that's going to spell trouble um, for the Chicago Cubs going into this season, especially, as you just said, with this major move just happening minutes ago. Yeah, right as we were putting the rundown together, you know, our second inning, which I'll move on right now. 
um, was our first inning, and it was going to lead the show, Jock Peterson. That was the big deal. That was the signing. The Cubs brought him in, surprised a lot of people that weren't sure that the Cubs would send anything for anybody, uh, but they solidified it, uh, uh, the need that they had in the outfield. Um, they brought in a replacement for Kyle Schwarber. Um, they are making some moves. So what do you think about this Jock Peterson move? I like it. It's interesting. I mean, Peterson's a guy who had an incredible playoff run last season with the Dodgers as they win the World Series. They get him on a one-year, $7 million deal. It's kind of interesting. I was reading that he apparently turned out an offer from the White Sox, and uh, it was a $10 million one-year deal in December, but he turned it down, and then kind of the market for him, it seemed like, uh, definitely cooled off. So Jed Hoyer pounced on getting a guy who is going to play left field, can hit a lot of home runs, can lead off for the Cubs. You know, it sounds vaguely familiar, Chad, to a guy that – just played left field for the Cubs last season. Um, if you look at Jock Peterson's numbers, compare it to Kyle Schwarber's numbers, they are eerily similar. Both guys don't really hit for average, but hit a lot of home runs in probably the 30 range, drive in 70 to 65 RBIs, and strike out quite a bit. So I'm happy for this move. I think Jock Peterson really will... Uh, look good in a Cubs uniform, and I really hope that he'll fill that hole in left field that is left vacant at the moment by Kyle Schwarber. What about you? You know, it's it's pretty amazing when you you know I, everybody did. I think all the Cubs fans did a comparison to see you know how does this measure up? You know, Kyle versus Jock, and my God, it's like th their last full year in nineteen was almost identical. Um, and so from that perspective, the Cubs did get a little bit of salary relief on what they probably would have had to pay. Kyle um, in arbitration so they get a little bit of salary relief but then you know what Jock provides is is better defense and what Jock provides is you know he you're right he he was a big time player um, for the Dodgers down the stretch this last year and so he has those intangibles where, where Kyle really has struggled to kind of bring that flare back that he showed in in uh, 15 and 16 so it's a good move it's a fan friendly move and like you said, there's a guy who's on a one-year prove-it deal. I like one-year prove-it deals. Will he be with the Cubs going forward in, in, in the next year? Who knows? He may really like it here and, and want to extend his time. This is a tremendous market to be in. Um, and, and as I said before, it really solidifies a need in the outfield. The outfield seems to be set. Jock will probably platoon uh, platoon out. Um, that remains to be seen who those players will take the, the hacks against the lefty batters. But this is an opportunity. I think Jock's going to get a lot of opportunities to prove himself here in, uh, in Chicago Cubs pinstripes. Also, don't be surprised, Chad, if the Cubs need to make a move at the trading deadline. They maybe flip Peterson for some prospects yeah. as well. That could easily be something we could conceivably see in this season as well. So let's move on now to the third inning now. And, well, why was Jack Peterson able to get signed on his one-year $7 million deal, according to David Kaplan, friend of the show from ESPN 1000 and NBC Sports Chicago? Cap says that the ownership, led by Tom Ricketts, has loosened the purse strings, so to speak, so the Cubs could potentially go out and get some decent players. Chad, it's a little puzzling right now. I think a lot of fans are probably just kind of trying to understand why now? Why now are the Ricketts saying, oh, yeah, now we'll be able to spend a little bit of money, whereas before they had the opportunity to spend more money or to keep certain players and decided not to? I, you know, I don't think any of this is by accident. I truly believe this is calculated. That You know, it's about winning the news cycle, right? And there are so many very disappointing and, and, and upsetting moves that the, this front office has, has made um, in this offseason. I mean, it really has dominated uh, the Chicago market in, in the lack of moves and also, you know, some of the, the decisions they made to let people like Kyle and, and John Lester um, go and, and, and move on to different teams among other players. So, and, and then, you know, the U Darvish trade uh, for pink, Peanuts, really. So I, th I think this is an opportunity getting that word out there that, wait a second, we're not done yet. We're going to we're going to make some moves. We're going to give Jed some opportunity. They're basically trying to say, hey, wait a second, we are a, a big market team. So let's see what we can we can do, um, because as, as it was said, as as uh, as Cap said, it's a winnable division. Um, and does that change? That's my concern now. Does that does that headline? Does that uh, 
that thought process of this is a winnable division, does that change now that the Arenado situation is in full play uh, with the Cardinals? Now that he is going to be wearing uh, the Cardinals cap, uh, will they say, well, it's no longer a winnable division, so you know maybe we're going to pull back a little bit? So it's interesting to see um, that it did come out uh, that, that they wanted that leaked. I mean, that's not something that necessarily has to be leaked. We never knew what the set budget was, that we just knew the Cubs were going to be shedding some payroll. And you, everybody needs to understand and remember the 2021 class is the class that a lot of people want to hold on to. So some of this payroll shedding actually does make sense. But I don't think they're done with Jock Peterson. I think, you know, we're going to have to bring on a couple extra pitchers. I think second base needs to be solidified. I don't think we can trust that Nico is going to suddenly become a, a major league second baseman at the plate, you know, as, as a hitter. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what the next moves are and will the Cubs, will they counterpunch what the Cardinals just did? Cause if they don't, then it's going to look like empty talk. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they can counter this. You, you I don't think the Cubs can go out. And just get a bonafide all-star, you know, player to basically help this lineup right now. I, I think the Cubs are going to be, you know, going out and getting guys, as you said before, on these one-year deals where they're in contract years, where they're going to try and focus on guys that are trying to prove themselves again and hopefully be able to kind of resurrect their career. Um, look, the Jock Peterson move. It got me excited when when I saw it. I was happy that at least it was a guy who I had heard of and a name <laughs> that we could sit here and say, okay, yeah. he's somebody that can at least, you know, bring some power to the lineup and potentially lead off for this team. But now that we're talking about a Cardinals team that has, you know, two bona fide MVP candidates on the corners, um, I, I just don't know how the Cubs counter this. So to me... I, while I, I think it's great that the Cubs thought at the moment it was a winnable division, I think the Cardinals literally just closed the door on the division um, and, and are easily the you know standalone favorites to, to win um, the NL Central. I, it's, it's early. I do appreciate that sentiment. It, it is a big deal. I'd like to see the, uh, the Cubs counterpunch this weekend and sign Colton Wong and solidify second base. That would be a game changer sure. with his bona fides as well. So let's move on to the, the fourth inning. And this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is interesting because, uh, we've got a, a situation where some friendly names back from a blast from the past, uh, are going to be, uh, pitching and, and showing off and, and throwing in front of the, the Cub Scouts, uh, uh, the shark, Jeff Samarja, also Notre Dame grad and, uh, and a guy, I can't think of what's a Jake. Is it Jake Arietta? I don't know. I, I'm sorry. One of the greatest pitchers in, 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 in a, if you take a sample size in baseball history and one of the Cubs legends of, of the run that, uh, that was, um, are trying out in front of, uh, Cub scouts. So what do you think, Renner? Is this your four and five pitchers? Um, are we in 2013? I'm just curious. Are we going back in time here? I, listen, I, I think it's an interesting move. Certainly from a uh, fan service standpoint, bringing back Jake, bringing back the Shark, uh, certainly fan favorites. Obviously, people love Jake for what he did, you know, from 2015 to 2017 with this franchise. But are, what, what version of Jake Arrieta are we getting? Because unfortunately, we have not seen a healthy Jake Arrieta when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies. And while this is a guy who prides himself on his conditioning and just, you know, his, his full regimen of exercise. Um, I don't know what we're going to get from Jake Arrieta. I would love to be able to say that, you know, he would be a solid four or five guy. And same with Samarja, who, again, wasn't really a, a factor in the last couple of seasons. He made a lot of money with the Giants. And, you know, certainly, I, I suppose at 36 years old, is on the uh, back nine of his career. I, I mean, look, if they look decent and you think they can provide you something, then, yeah, I suppose you can sign them to a one-year deal. And, and hopefully it's not to a, a point money-wise where you feel like you're going to be shelling things out. I can't imagine the Cubs would pay more than about $2 million to sign these guys each. So, if, if it's a low-risk move, then I'm, I'm all for it. I just don't know how much you're going to get from these two guys who are clearly, um, you know, in the uh, sunset of their career. How about you? Uh, it's two different guys, two different legacies, two different uh, really 
performances over the last season and a half. And so, you know, how you handicap it, what they could bring to the table, could they be a serviceable four or five? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they have left in the tank after a very unique, um, you know, limited year with, with COVID and, and everything that happened with that. But um, for me, you're right. It would be fan service for the Jake, for, for Jake coming back. Uh, Samarja, I don't think there's as much love. I mean, he was somebody that was young and, and they, they, you know, wasn't a part of the, of the big core where they, they, they determined he wasn't a part of the future. So what do they have left in the tank? I don't know. I, I could see either one of them if they have something left on a, on a, on a low, but, but highly incentivized uh, deal and let them prove it. Um, but if I'm these guys, I want to do kind of John Lackey situation, but I don't know if they're at the John Lackey stage of their career where they go, you know what, I want to hitch on to a winner. And so if I'm these guys, I'm going to look at who, who, who's, who's the team that needs a four or five. Um, and, and I'll play for, you know, peanuts to, to sell some more jerseys and maybe win another title. I mean, if, if either one of these guys wants to, to get, get a ring and they both have rings, it, you know, it's probably not going to happen on the north side. But it definitely could happen somewhere else. So if they're going to give a discount out, why give a discount to, to just to come back to the Cubs? Yep. All right. So let us move now to the fifth inning. And we talked about the Peterson trade. There were two other guys that the Cubs made moves on to bring into the fold. One of them is Cole Stewart, who I'm extremely intrigued by. This guy was the former number four overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft. He comes over from the Twins as a free agent. He was picked behind Chris Bryant, actually. And the other is backup catcher Austin Romine, who will now replace Victor Caratini. Uh, Chad, what do you think of these moves, even though we've maybe never heard of either one of these guys? (laughs) How much of an impact do you think either one of them could potentially make this coming year? You kind of you got to bone up on your baseball names. I I am very aware of both of these guys, but I will say that you know when you texted me the the Romine deal, I was like all the plans coming into place. I mean, this is the guy we need. This is the oh, missing yeah. piece. You know, I mean, Romine does what 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 the Cubs needed. That you know they're not ready to bring up any of their their young talent just yet, uh, and so he's going to be your your number two catcher, and that's fantastic. Not going to go into the peripherals there. He is a solid defensive backstop with good framing skills. That's all the Cubs need. That's that's it. Don't worry about you know losing anything with Victor Carantini, although he gave you a little bit more from a DH standpoint. The Cole Stewart thing is pretty intriguing, and I like this move because you you have a guy that has you know has had tremendous stuff, but never could piece it together, could never put it together to be a really explosive, powerful, um, you know, dominant uh, force on the mound. He picked two places behind Chris Bryant in his draft. This is a guy that didn't pitch last year during COVID because of health concerns. I think it's type one diabetes. So he, he sat out last year, so he's got a fresh arm. And so if he's been out there and he's been working, he definitely, again, is on one of those favorable team deals with incentives and, and, uh, in a small, cap space so he's out there trying to prove something and if he can go out and prove something he could actually reclaim it and and make a lot of money in the next offseason so for him he has everything to gain very little to lose and i think the cubs do as well by making this move yeah i i've been actually like you i'm intrigued by the cole stewart signing as well i mean this is a guy has a lot of upside he has great stuff and he's 26 years old i'm i'm all about taking a flyer on a guy like this you have nothing to lose bringing in a guy like this who potentially, as you said, has the stuff, just hasn't been able to kind of piece it together. Maybe you throw him in the pitching lab, kind of see how he unfolds to, you know, figure out maybe something in his mechanics that can change the way that he can, you know, become a better pitcher. And you got yourself a guy who, you know, a steal, so to speak. Um, Austin Romine, I don't know much about him. I do know that Victor Caratini was a guy who provided a a real solid bat in the lineup for the Chicago Cubs, especially last year when he, you know, played quite a bit at DH. He was Hugh Darvish's personal catcher. He certainly was probably one of the best backup catchers in baseball. Um, So he's a loss as far as I'm concerned. So I I don't know much about Austin Romine, but, you know, certainly if, you know, Wilson Contreras can stay healthy, um, then we won't have to see too much of Austin Romine. But as we've seen in the past, Contreras does tend to get hurt quite a bit. And so that could be a situation where we do see this backup catcher play a little more. But again, um, I think there's upside to both guys because there's not a lot of risk involved um, either way as far as I'm concerned. 
Well, let's move on to the sixth inning to uh, probably the sexiest part about baseball, which is labor negotiations. You've got the the owners on one side, uh, you know, the gilded age, the, the the billionaires and the multi-billionaires, and then you have the players just scrapping and fighting for their, you know, their eight-figure, nine-figure contracts you know it's 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 really hard to you know not pick sides there but uh anyway it's it's going to come to a head ryan and this is another example here where the union uh um was given the opportunity to accept universal dh if they also accepted expanded postseason but the union said no deal and i think this is just a arbiter of things to come in terms of uh, of the the players association with much better representation more strong negotiating skills i think we are potentially headed to a work stoppage by the way these things are going unless they can really pull it together i'm trying to understand why I, first of all let me just say i kind of am happy they rejected it because i like the current system for the postseason i like the way that it's already set up I mean, yes, last year I could understand why we did, you know, what we did when it came to expanded postseason because of just the way the season was structured. But I'm happy with the teams that make it, adding the extra wild card game. Like, the way it's set up, in my opinion, is perfect. I think when you start bringing on more teams in the postseason, then you're you're hurting the game by bringing on teams that may not necessarily – should make the postseason you're looking at teams that are going to be under 500 potentially or just teams that really just aren't good enough to be make the postseason and as far as the dh goes i I know we've talked about this before i know it's probably coming eventually and i didn't mind it last year i thought it actually worked out well but i like the pitcher hitting i enjoy the old school mentality of national league baseball so while i'm confused because again you would think this would create 15 more jobs. This would create more um, revenue for teams and players. I'm, I'm just a little surprised why the players rejected that. I, that's what I am not sure about. But I'm happy that it was rejected just because I like the setup of baseball the way it is. So I was cool with it. But I'd want to know why the players rejected it. Do you know, or would you? Have yeah, I, I I do. I've got some insights here. So, and actually, I, I I've been doing a little bit of research in this. So, the DH thing, I don't think is like one side wants, one side doesn't want. I think universally, everybody's kind of decision decided that baseball is going to go in that direction. The players definitely will benefit from that. As you said, fifteen extra positions in the lineup, and and uh, owners and and teams don't have to worry about you know the potential of injuries, all those other things, and and also a DH is going to goose uh, the offense but here is why that was kind of like the carrot if they would agree to the expanded playoff what the expanded playoff does yes it gives additional teams the opportunity to be in the postseason that's kind of a negative for the players and there's two reasons for that one of them is it can water down the the need for a team to put together a team together and pay a team to try to win 94 to 96 games. If you can make your way into the playoffs with 86 wins, you don't have to pay as much for that. I mean, teams are paying for war. They're paying paying for wins over replacement. That's one piece of the puzzle. The other piece of the puzzle, Rhino, is the 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 owners get the TV contract money. The players get the gate. And if you don't think that it's millions and millions and millions of dollars more for the TV contract versus the gate, that right there is a huge sticking point. And that's why I think we're moving towards a work stoppage, because right now, when they do these extra things that impact the TV deal, it's the owner's pockets that get lined. It doesn't trickle down as much to the players. The boys will be right back with their interview with Wayne Mesmer. But first, a message from Federalist Wines. Chad, 2021 is here. We have a new president. We have an upcoming baseball season. So with all that, we should definitely find some time to raise a glass and have a drink as we say goodbye to 2020 for sure. That's right. And why not start your new year right with some Federalist wine? It's the perfect wine to have with any meal or just a drink. That's right. You can pair it with a steak, a burger and fries. It doesn't matter because the Federalist wine is an American wine crafted for the only tasting note that matters. And that's damn good taste. It's a bold choice with baseball or any sport. And you can pair it with any food you desire. 
And we have a special offer for you. If you go to uncourt.com, that is uncourt.com, and use the code CUBS20, you get 20% off your entire purchase. Yep. So, of course, this is an American craft wine. It's the Federalist wine. So, as Chad said, go to uncourt.com, use the promo code CUBS20, get 20% off your purchase. Must be 21 years or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. Time now for the seventh inning stretch. And if you've been around Wrigley Field for the better part of, well, several decades, you've no doubt have seen this guy uh, perform before games. Uh, you may have seen him on WGN if you're like me and during your childhood in the 80s and their heydays of the WGN. Um, we are pleased to have on the podcast Wayne Mesmer. Wayne, welcome to the Friendly Confines podcast. Well, thank you for uh, rolling out the uh, the blue carpet. Oh, I like that. I, we haven't used that before. I like that the Cubs no, blue I, carpet. I, I, yeah, I just thought of that. All <laughs> That's, of good. That's good stuff. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're, we might dive into that a little bit later on. So, um, I, uh, you know, I I just share with you a little bit before we started talking. I mean, you were a huge part of my childhood. I, I to, to date myself, I mean, I was I was that kid that rushed home and and if I turned on the TV and the Cubs were home, they were on TV, and if they weren't at home, I was watching Transformers, and you were there, you know, during most of that time. Um, so you have such a special place in my fandom, and and uh, and I got to tell you, I get so excited when I am there. I'm a Cubs season ticket holder in Section 111, and whenever it's you or especially you and your wife on those special days, um, there's just something thrilling about knowing you're going to be doing the National Anthem. What does it mean to you every time you, you take the field at Wrigley to do the, the anthem or during the seventh inning stretch for for uh, for you know the other other songs? You know What does that mean to you? Do you, do you get goosebumps? Do you get nervous? How does that feel? Yeah, I always get nervous, uh, and I allow myself to get nervous. And people say, you know, do you, uh, you know, are you afraid? Are you concerned? Oh, I'm never afraid because I know that I can do it. Uh, obviously, proved it by doing it about five thousand times already. Um, I, I take a theatrical approach, mm. you know, and I have a, a, a an acting background, so uh, you know, you're only as good as your last performance, and you know, you walk out on stage. And somebody's going to say, oh, great. You know, oh, this guy's good. Wait till you hear this guy. You know, oh, I'm glad he's singing today or they're singing today, whatever it might be. And uh, you don't want to let them down. I mean, you want to impress somebody. Um, a professional doesn't need to show off. They just need to do it right. And I've always believed that, you know, a, pro a professional practices um, – differently than an amateur an amateur does it until they get it right and a professional does it until they can't get it wrong mm. and um I, I also you know I, I know it's hallowed ground to me it's always game three of the 32 world series and i'm waiting for the bambino to come out and point you know so things have happened 50 years of nfl football on that field i mean it, it truly is uh, a very special place and a very special moment. And then also it's, it's that one moment when everyone just shuts down and focuses on, on you standing there, you know? And, uh, so, you know, you just, you just can't, uh, uh, you, you can't underestimate the importance of it. And I think that I've always believed that you're supposed to uh, lead the crowd, not mm. show off. Yeah, that's what I appreciate about you. Obviously, I can't hold on to the note at the end, but I feel like I'm singing along with you, and I love it. It's I love it. I Good. take it with great reverence. What What do you prefer? You like the anthem or God Bless America? What do you like better? I Well, I really do love God Bless America, but I also like America the Beautiful, which is a great song. Mm. Um, a, a lovely melody and, a, and and great lyrics. The the national anthem is, uh, by most accounts, a, a difficult song to sing, and because it has an octave and a fifth range, which is far beyond what the normal voice will do. And uh, you know, you, you watch a civilian doing the anthem, and they'll they'll bail on the bottom end or the top, one or the other, and sometimes yep. both. Same. You know, so. But it falls within my baritone range, and I do it in the key of B flat. If uh, 
if you want to win a trivia uh, contest. <laughs> so, <laughs> learning new things. I love that. We're we're gonna we're gonna dig into the history of your time with the Cubs. We're gonna talk about some of your fondest memories. But I want to. I really want to dig into this the, the anthem stuff. Uh, and and everybody when they think about you and and I put this on our, our Cubs Facebook page. A couple people said, "Ask him about 1991." So, you know that that's an iconic moment. I mean, you're a YouTube legend with that. For those that don't know, you did the anthem. It was during kind of the height of the the Gulf War. Um, the NHL was having their All Star game at, at Chicago Stadium. And it just, it was this video that resonated. And no matter if the, you know, if it was a hockey market or not, that anthem was played pretty much on every local newscast in America. What was that mm-hmm. like with the crowd? I mean, did that just make your chest almost blow up just from, from that moment? Yeah. Cause I knew exactly what that moment meant. You know, uh, they had, uh, they had not televised, uh, from the stadium uh, previously during regular games and uh, so no one knew what happened there. They, they didn't know the energy that lived inside of that building. And uh, we found out about a week earlier that uh, they were definitely going to televise. And it would be the Canadian and the U.S. anthems. And actually, it was a day and a half after the Gulf War had begun. Mm. So there was a lot of uncertainty and really a lot of fear going on. It's like, what have we gotten ourselves into? And... Uh, I mean, I'll never forget it because I was standing at that time. I would, I would sing up in the organ loft of the old Barton theater organ. And amazingly, we just passed on the the 19th of this month, the 30th anniversary of that. And uh, it, uh, it still gives me chills. I just wrote a piece about it. uh, Matter of fact, uh, yesterday. So it's, it's uh, interesting that you bring that up, but um, I thought, and I also write about it in, uh, I, I wrote a book called The Voice of Victory, and uh, I, I very, uh, I don't know, very detailed write about what was going on through my mind at that moment. And I'm thinking about the Canadian National Anthem, which goes first, and uh, there were Canadian troops involved in that as well. And And I'm thinking, you know, some lumberjack camp somewhere <laughs> up in Saskatoon or, you know, some mom in Moose Jaw who's got a kid in harm's way. They deserve to have that uh, song sung with dignity and pride as well as the, uh, the Star Spangled Banner. And then uh, when, when I, when I finished, um, I was literally soaking wet. Um, because it was just so tense. Uh, it was so critical. I knew that what I was uh, God gifted to do and what I was requested to do by my fellow man had just met at the same intersection. And that's rare. That's rare. And uh, uh, Kathleen, who's a wonderful singer and just, just the dearest person in the world, she looks at me and she says, I know, I know. And uh, we just kind of hugged and uh, took it from there. What was interesting, you mentioned uh, being on a newscast. It came home that night, and like every good fellow, I'm standing in the kitchen with uh, the remote in my hand, you know, and uh, clicking the channels. It opened and closed every local and network newscast that day, wow. that night. And then you think, you know, man, oh, man, it's uh, it's understanding what gift or gifts, plural, you've been given uh, to be able to use them and respect them and share them. And I think that's one of the reasons we're, we're put on earth. So that was a very special day. I love that. And and uh, if you're a listener and you haven't had a chance to see it, uh, just, just Google, just go to YouTube and, and type in 1991 NHL All-Star Game Anthem. It'll pop up and it's been seen millions of times. So Wayne, I talked before about uh, you being a part of my childhood. I'm not alone in that. I mean, the reason the Cubs have such a great uh, fan base is the WGN days, and you, your time there um, early on with the Cubs as a field announcer, PA announcer, and all the different hats you wore at the time um, gave you a lot of visibility to people like me growing up. What were some of your fondest memories of those times? Well, there's a bunch of them. I mean, the very first time I went out there, I had spent uh, three years in the same capacity as uh, 
PA announcer and uh, vocalist for the Chicago White Sox mm -hmm. at uh, Comiskey Park. And I'd grown up on the South Side, and those were great times, 82, 83, which was an amazing year. Uh, won the division by 20 games and hosted the baseball all-star game. And uh, so I got to announce that. But then in uh, 84, I went out and did a guest appearance uh, at Wrigley Field, and it was a Montreal Expos game. So I sang the uh, Canadian anthem wearing an Expos jacket, took it off, and had a Cubs jersey on underneath. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting because the, uh, the the marketing guys of the White Sox uh, just happened to be watching the ball game, and they they uh, they noticed, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but I also noticed because I had received at that time. You're getting on your answering machine calls from people cousins and stuff that I, I didn't even know i had and i go wait a minute everyone saw that yeah. um i had sung 137 times at that point with the white Sox. nobody saw it unless you were at the ball game right and uh, i don't mean because they weren't they just didn't televise the animals. right 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 so uh, when the opportunity arose um i uh, i jumped at it the one of the great memories would be September 27th of uh, 2001, when we were the last ball club to come back after 9/11, and we had uh, canceled a 10-game homestand and then finally came back. That night, there were uh, police, fire, military. It was lined up all the way from home plate out to the foul poles, and uh, I went out and stood on the pitcher's mound and that not saying uh, America the Beautiful and the National Anthem. Unbelievable emotion. Unbelievable. To top it off, that was the evening of a day where earlier that uh, that day, uh, Kathleen and I were picked up by a couple guys with no sense of humor in a black sedan, Secret Service guys, <laughs> taken out to O'Hare, the military installation, when uh, at that time, President uh, George W. Bush came rolling in on Air Force One and came to the grandstands that were set up to announce it is time for us to get back in the air again. So I stood next to him at about 9.30 a.m. and sang the national anthem for that. We went home and I goes, wow, that was great. That was great. And then, then the day went through and we're still kind of giddy over that. And that's okay, let's get dressed for the ball game. So that night... When, when we're finally, you know, just uh, hanging up our spikes for the day, uh, we looked at each other and said, this was not your typical day. You know, it was uh, it was very special. There were great, great moments that really uh, um, coming back for me in uh, uh, 94 um, and uh, coming back to, to come out on Memorial Day and throw out a first pitch. Uh, the, that was quite a moment as well. I, I had, uh, we all know my situation there in April of 94 yes. and the misfortune of being in the yes. wrong place at the wrong time and uh, getting shot point blank, nine millimeter with a, uh, in the neck. And, uh, those were dark, dark moments, but, uh, to be able to come back from that and to be able to come back for opening day of, uh, a 95 season. And to sing again, you, I mean, you sometimes feel that, uh, that hallowed ground that you walk on at Wrigley Field, you're, you're floating above it. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I make too much out of it, but too bad. It's how important it is to me. You know, I, I, I think we respect things. If you understand just how fortunate we are to be given the opportunities that we have, uh, life becomes pretty sweet, you know, and I, there's a great, great phrase that says, sometimes you will never know the true value of a moment until it becomes a memory. And you think, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, in other words, you missed it. Yeah. You know what I mean, you didn't, you didn't soak it in at the time. And once that's, that's the should have, could have, might have. And uh, I, I don't miss much. You know, yeah. uh, you stand there and look around. Uh, I mean, obviously, the uh, some of the playoffs uh, as we got into having better ball clubs, uh, mercifully, 
in the in the mid 2010s those were great you know um the all-star game of 1990 to walk out and sing the canadian anthem for that was you know it's countless memories if i stop and start writing them down it's like you know, i run out of ink hi this is marv levy and you're listening to ryan and chad on friendly confines and our thanks to Wayne Mesmer. What a great interview, Chad. You really had him uh, talk so about fun. some really excellent stuff. We really appreciate it. Um, just the history that he has with not just the Cubs franchise, but like multiple franchises. And that story about the 1991 All-Star Game. Chills, man. Just really, really good stuff. That was excellent work by you. So uh, well done. So much Ryan. fun. And, and, and we'll release the full interview. I've got another um, uh, 12 to 15 minutes. Uh, he, he, he dives more into, um, some of his career highlights and, and some great stories. He, he, he opens up and he shares, uh, that, uh, momentous, uh, moment, uh, 27 years ago coming up in April where he was shot, shot in the throat at close range. Um, and didn't know if he'd be able to sing, uh, talk, much less sing ever again. Uh, he dives into that and what that meant to him and, and his growth. Such such an inspirational, uh, just like I said, just a, a Chicago original. Very cool. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't tell you about our social media pages and where you can find us. I am at Ryan D. Lieber on Twitter. Chad is at the Chad Gordon. And then, of course, you can find us on Facebook at the Friendly Confines Chicago Cubs Facebook page. We are always excited to interact with you and hear from you guys about what you want us to talk about or who you'd like us to talk to as we move on to the eighth inning. And so a uh, big week in Major League Baseball, big week for the Hall of Fame, um, but also a anticlimactic week. Uh, right? The vote came and went and uh, no one was voted into this year's class. Um, what we're seeing, I think, Rhino, is a lot of players that were really in that dicey time of of the performance enhancement uh, era of baseball. And um, what do you think? Uh, should uh, should the voters lighten up or do you think this is just a harbinger of things to come? Yeah, you know, I think there's such a gray area now, Chad. And I think we the way that voters voted 30 years ago is starting to change. Just the way that our you know, social interactions and kind of how we have viewed um, society behavior over the past 10 years um, has really changed the narrative of how we vote in players into the Hall of Fame. The character of players is now playing a larger role than it ever has before. In the past, it was always about what they did on the field and what their numbers looked like, regardless of if these people were jerks or not. And now we're kind of seeing a shift in that. And I think because Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and now even Sammy Sosa, who's like barely spoken about when it comes to the Hall of Fame, because of the way these people acted both on a personal level and on a professional level for dealing some with steroids, it's affecting them getting into the Hall of Fame. And and those players I just mentioned, they're only going to be on the ballot one more time. And then they come off the ballot, and the only way they're going to get in is by the Veterans Committee, which eventually I think all of those players will get in from the Veterans Committee. But it's a shame because certainly I think if we're just deeming it on performance alone, all of the named players deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So it's just a very... It's just a very odd scenario that we find ourselves in when it comes to baseball now. Yeah, it, it, you know, what is ultimately we're really asking for the, 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 the baseball, the writers association to basically, you know, play God with, with an era of baseball that wasn't just a couple people. It was, it was a wide swath of people. And, and I always like to say, like, if you think it was just limited to, to Clemens and Bonds and, and Sosa, you know, look back at that Sports Illustrated with Nomar Garcia Parra on it shirtless looking ripped as can be. And let's be honest, it's kind of hard to do natural. I mean, I, I, I don't know anything. I can't say anything. But you look at that, 
that was so that was just everybody had the ripped arms and everybody in the Brady Andersons of the world. Um, It's hard to understand who was in and who wasn't in. And, you know, did Jeter do anything at all? I mean, how can you be sure? We do know that that legends of your you know, we're taking amphetamines before every game. You know, they called them greenies. You know, that's illegal. And that's a performance enhancer. That allowed people to get through the grind of 154 at the time and then 162 games. So I think the stats should stand up as the stats. I think there's an opportunity to educate and share the story of, of, of the opportunity. I mean, what McGuire did who's never going to get and what Sosa did clearly probably never going to get. And even though he had one of the most incredible runs in all of baseball, what Bonds did, what Clemens, what all these guys did made baseball incredibly exciting for a long period of time. And for the people to just look back and go, no, no, I can't support that. I hate that. They were cheering their head off during the, the 98 season with McGuire and Sosa. And they knew, you know, they knew the Andro, Andro story, whatever, whatever McGuire had in his locker room. So I think it's a little bit hypocritical um, that so many, it's hard to find people that are like, I support it. I, I enjoyed them and I think they should make the hall. I'm, I'm kind of of that ilk. There's a lot of people that are clutching their pearls, acting as if it was the most horrible thing to ever happen to them. They cheated. It was what was necessary in baseball at the time. A lot of people were doing it. Let's recognize that. And let's also recognize the legends of that era. Right. Because let's not forget, there are people in the hall of fame that are suspected of doing steroids. And yet, even though they don't come up in the Mitchell report, they still got in, right? Yep. I mean, we can we can mention Mike Piazza. We can mention Ivan Rodriguez or yep. Jeff Bagwell. They're all in the Hall of Fame. And that's the a, point. Yeah. Yeah. People have, have, have suspected them of doing it as well, just not as discussed as much as Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa. So there is that hypocrisy that is also going on as well, Chad. And, and that's why I say at the end of the day, just let them in. They just, they should be in. It just, it needs to happen at this point. So you just got to move on from it. All right. So let's finish up in the ninth inning, Chad. And while we finish up with a little bit of sad news, because speaking of hall of famers, arguably the greatest baseball player of all time uh, passed away recently when Hank Aaron um, died at the age of 86 years old. Uh, Some would say he is still the true home run King 755 career home runs and Chad it's very interesting of those 755 home runs he knocked 50 of those at Wrigley Field against the Chicago Cubs which is Mm. the most that he hit against a team in a visiting ballpark Uh, does that shock you at all that Hank Aaron owned the Cubs and owned Wrigley Field for that matter if you looked up when Hank started playing and when Hank stopped playing the Cubs were pretty crappy, so no, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all that he feasted on uh, on uh, subpar Cubs pitching. Um, but it's a nice stat. It's actually a really fun stat, and, and I didn't know that. I'm glad you shared that with me. I, You know, Hank Aaron was one of those books. Uh, you know, I used to read those biography books of, of sports stars, and I remember Hank's book, um, and I, I remember just loving it. I had his book and Willie Mays' book, and and just they were just these mythical creatures. And, and uh, you know, it's it's always sad when, when, when you lose one of the legends. He had a, had a tremendous life, and um, he also had a life of, of, of discrimination and racism and and he had a lot of struggles and challenges it wasn't an easy life and he even mentioned that throughout the you know his retirement and and in different interviews that he was uh he was forced to deal with a lot you know there was a lot of people um who would not recognize you know his his rightful place uh at the top of the home run because they really liked the story of of, of the great white hope Babe Ruth, you know, and, and how he had, you know, the Bambino, even though he never played against any minorities in his entire career. So um, Hank had to face a lot. He had to face a lot in the South. And and uh, he's, you know, he, he he didn't go through what what Jackie went through in, in breaking the color barrier, but he definitely went through a lot. And for that, you know, it, it's sad. Um, but uh, I remember him very fondly. I remember him as somebody I looked up to and thought it was a, a legend um, when I was a youth. And, and uh, I need to find find that biography book and read it again um, because he was a special person. And the fact that he was able to do what he did um, and and fight through and and take that home run crown, that is that is no it's no easy feat. And he did it through a lot of adversity. 
I got the opportunity, Chad, uh, when I worked in, te- in television to interview Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron lived part-time in West Palm Beach, Florida, um, because the Braves, once upon a time, had spring training in West Palm, and he made his home here um, during the winter, and he would then you know, have his home in Atlanta. And I remember I got the chance to interview him, and I remember walking over to him, tapping him while he was in the middle of eating, mind you, and I asked him if I could talk to him really quickly. And... <laughs> He started laughing. He just he was just chuckling. And I mean, this was a man who was so sweet and so kind. I mean, you know, there's so many athletes, Chad, that you and I know or see that are not very good and not kind and not, you know, um, easy to deal with. And Hank Aaron, uh, from the short and, you know, small uh, part that I played in to get a chance to interview him, could not have been kinder, could not have been nicer. And he was always gracious and he was always a class act. And it's a sad day because it's almost another era of ball players that are unfortunately passing away now because now really the only ones left. I mean, really, Chad, it's it's Willie Mays, it's Sandy Koufax, it's Louis Aparicio. And, and you know, you got like Bill Mazeroski uh, in the mix as well. That's it. Like, that's the list of guys yeah. who are part of a, a, you know, an era that is basically gone when it comes to Hall of Fame players. So it's sad because we've had him for so long to be able to discuss the history of what he meant to baseball. I mean, he's he's a hero. He is a true hero Absolutely. And, and certainly will be missed for sure. So with that, that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Confines. Once again, our thanks to Wayne Mesmer and for Chad, I am Ryan. We will talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. See you at the ballpark, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field. The first time you walk into Wrigley Field, heroes Hey guys, it's Sylvie from Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my guys, Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines. Hey everyone, I'm Chad Gordon. And I'm Ryan Lieber. We're the hosts of the Friendly Confines podcast. Each week we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans' perspective with some of the biggest names in sports. Joe Buck, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it. Pat Hughes, welcome to the seventh inning. Happy to be here, Chad. It is Len Casper. You got it, Ryan. Chad, happy to be with you guys. The Hawk, Andre Dossett. Well, it's my distinct pleasure. I'm doing fine, thank you. We're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the Barroom Network. So if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Dempster, and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast.